Hey everybody, welcome back to Explain Like I'm 5, the podcast where we take the questions you always wanted to ask and talk about them in a way that's easy to understand. We are your hosts, I'm Tim. Hey everyone, I'm Kevin. So Kevin, today we're talking about containers. And by containers, I mean those shipping containers that we see on ships. Uh, So why don't we start with this first question. How do cargo ships that have these huge stacks of containers not topple over when they're facing rough seas? Really great question. And the whole magic starts with the shipping container itself, more precisely known as an intermodal container created in the 1960s. We've all seen them. They are those large, standardized shipping containers, typically about 40 feet, designed and built for intermodal freight transport. Meaning, these containers can be used across different modes of transport, from the ship to rails to trucks without unloading and reloading their cargo. So some people go as far as to say they are one of the world's most influential inventions because of their impact on the world. Well, I want to get back to that in a second, but uh, how about my first question first? How do those containers not topple off? So there are a few things that work in concert together. First, you have the loading pattern. They always put the heaviest containers in the bottom of the hull, and the top one is usually empty for various reasons. There's also ballasting or deballasting, which is a process by which seawater is actually taken in and out of the ship when the ship is at the port or at the sea, and it can help to bring down the center of gravity. So you essentially have to calculate the center of gravity given all the information of the weight of the containers and ensure it's you know low enough. So how do they all fit together, these containers? That's the second part of the equation. So there are these things called twist locks. Um, A twist lock together with matching corner castings, they form a standardized rotating connector system uh, for connecting shipping containers. So there are two parts to a twist lock. A female part, which is an oval hole 4.9 inches in on the the long axes with uh, two flat sides about two and a half inches apart. And the male component, it fits in snugly and can be inserted through this hole and then rotated 90 degrees, thus making it locked in place and cannot be withdrawn. Mm. And containers, they have castings with openings for these twist lock fasteners at each of the eight corners so that each container box is connected from above, below, or the side. And this thus allows them to be stacked up to like 10 units high. And finally, like we mentioned at the start, all this is only possible because you have a standardized ISO container, mainly these 20 and 40 feet containers. All containers built to ISO standard have corner casts in these exact specific places and sizes, and all are made to a minimum strength as well. I see. So let's come back around to this. We should ELI-5, how this wonderful standardization all came about, I think. How did the first design of what we know today as a shipping container happen? Good question, good question. It was a former trucking company, actually, a trucking company owner named Malcolm McLean, who is often considered the father of containerization. In 1955, he worked with engineer Keith Tantlinger to engineer the modern intermodal container. Now, the challenge was to design a shipping container that could efficiently be loaded onto ships and would hold securely on sea voyages. And the result was an 8 foot wide, 8 foot 6 inch high, and in various lengths would now go up to you know 40 feet. Uh, all construct- constructed from 2.5 millimeter, about 0.1 inch thick corrugated steel. 
And how did it all become so standard? Well, after helping McLean create that successful design, the engineer Tenlinger convinced him to give the patented designs to industry. And those patents developed by McLean were made available to ISO. That's the standard setting body, right? The International Organization for Standardization that you've mentioned, ISO? Correct, correct. The ISO received the patents free of charge and codified it in something called ISO 668. And the industry saw the benefits of standardization immediately. The uptake was rapid, spurring a shipping boom and a massive growth of global ports and handling facilities. How did it get adopted so quickly? Well, great economics helped. In 1956, most cargoes were loaded and unloaded by hand by longshoremen, and hand loading a ship cost like $5.86 a ton at that time. Using containers, it cost only 16 cents a ton to load a ship. Now that's a 36-fold savings. So containerization also greatly reduced the time to load and unload ships. Uh, McLean used to say, a ship earns money only when she's at sea, and based his whole business on that efficiency. So I started off by asking you how containers stay on ships and don't fall off. Uh, but the truth is, sometimes they do fall off. And there are a couple of interesting stories to share when this happens. Oh yes, yes. Thousands of containers unfortunately are lost at sea every year. Uh, for example, in the 80s, a shipping container full of Garfield landline phones fell overboard off the coast of France. And to this day, these phones are still found off the Brittany and Normandy coast. What about the rubber ducks one? I thought that was the most interesting. Oh yes, yes, that is the best one of all. In 1992, a shipping crate containing 28,000 of these plastic bath toys was lost at sea when it fell overboard in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on its way from Hong Kong to the United States. No one at the time could have guessed that those same bath toys would still be floating the world's oceans decades later. You know, some have washed up on the shores of Hawaii, Alaska, South America, Australia, and the Pacific Northwest. Uh, others have been found even frozen in Arctic ice. I hear that people use those to study ocean patterns and also pollution and so on. So thank you for that anecdote. Did you learn something new? If you did, send us an email. We are at eli5thepodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. As always, thank you to the community at r slash explain like I'm five. And we will see you all next week.